Engaging Leader Episode 142. That's not how we do it here. How to stay agile and innovative as a mature company. Featuring one of my favorite thought leaders, John Cotter. Brought to you by Espinel Communications and by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. More and more today, large organizations are finding their competitive landscape changing so quickly that they're unable to respond fast enough to survive and thrive. Most mature organizations have a built-in tendency to kill off anything agile, innovative, and entrepreneurial, which often is exactly what's needed to stay ahead of today's ever-increasing pace of change in the marketplace. On the other hand, startups often find themselves growing to the point where their organization's size becomes unwieldy. They don't have the systems, structures, and disciplines in place to produce great results efficiently and reliably, every day, month after month. Today, I'm very excited to welcome to the show one of my longtime favorite thought leaders, Dr. John P. Cotter. He's a New York Times bestselling author of 18 books. He's a speaker, Harvard professor, and he's founder and chair of the management consulting firm Cotter International. Perhaps his most famous book is Leading Change, which Time Magazine selected in 2011 as one of the 25 most influential management books ever written. In uh, 2006, about a decade ago, he published what is probably his most popular book, Our Iceberg is Melting, a short business parable that illustrated his eight-step process for change management. Today we're going to dig into his latest book, That's Not How We Do It Here. It's a short fable that distills his decades of experience and award-winning research about how to lead change, and specifically, how to transform your team into one that's both well-run with systems and structures, as well as strategically agile, innovative, adaptive, and energetic. John Cotter, welcome to Engaging Leader. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, just honored to be here. John, you've written a a book that's a fast, uh, inspiring read that teaches cutting-edge business concepts through a pretty entertaining story about some meerkat clans in the Kalahari region of Southern Africa. What's the premise of that story? Well, the whole idea is um, if if you as an author want to have an impact, not just get people to buy your books, (laughs) you've got to get them to read the books. You've got to get them to... Um, act on what they've read. And as it turns out, uh, that's a lot more difficult than you'd think. Uh, I guess it starts with buying the book, then reading the book. And then, um, and one format that you can use that we know because of uh, all the research that's been done over the years on the human brain is a, a format that uses stories. And parables have been a key part of stories that have gone back uh, many, 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 many years, obviously. Um, and in our case, we're also able to use kind of colorful illustrations. Now, that turns off a certain segment of the population who, you know, thinks it looks like it's, it's something childish. It's anything but. Um, it's a way to um, give some important ideas 
uh, or help people to think about stuff where they draw conclusions for themselves about their situation, about important ideas, yeah, remarkably efficiently. You know, it takes about a quarter of the time of a regular business book, and it's memorable, which means the probability that people will actually um, act on it and get something out of it in terms of their uh, careers, their work, um, their organization can go up uh, dramatically. We've written uh, one parable before, and um, I mean it was just astonishing. It was made into what three three stage plays. Um, it's uh, sold a million and a half copies uh, worldwide. Um, it's, it still sells, and I get emails constantly thanking me um, by people who uh, did something with it, didn't just read it. Um, so we, we, it, it, it's an interesting format. It's not easy to do, I must admit. And I owe a lot to my co-author, who's an enormously creative guy, in helping me to be able to do it. So before we dig into the heart of the content of this book, just for our listeners to take away three leadership principles you've demonstrated by the book's format. One, of course, is story, but also, and secondly, visual, as you mentioned. And then thirdly, uh, brevity. It's, it's, a, it's a quick read. It basically took about two and a half hours for me to read it. And so the three of those are very powerful, both in, I think, attracting readers as well as boosting the sticky factor of what you're trying to teach. Correct. Correct. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, you may have done it with the audio form, which takes about two and a half hours. Most people, you would be able to probably read it in 45 minutes, um, which again, for, for busy people, uh, 45 minutes is a, and, and that's a reality. We're all too busy. Uh, let's, let's face it. Um, so that's another virtue of this form of book, because you can really say something that is memorable in, uh, in that short uh, period of time. Now, on the topic of story, uh, I have actually been quoting you for a long time on that topic. You've got this great quote. It goes like this. We learn best and change from hearing stories that strike a chord within us. Those in leadership positions who fail to grasp or use the power of stories risk failure for their companies and for themselves. Now, that's something you've picked up in the in the data for a long time. When, when did that first become... Uh, such a key to you? I can't tell you how many years ago, but I've been studying up close um, people in leadership positions, some of whom have done well, most of whom, because I choose them that way, some of whom have not. And it became obvious just listening to, to, to people talk to me, uh, listening to them in front of their own people, how often uh, the, the ones that really make a difference and do something great um, fall back on uh, telling stories. Um, I can remember one or uh, two examples of people who came to Harvard Business School um, uh, did a little uh, speech and Q&A with the audience. Um, some of the extraordinary people who kind of, uh, they're asked a question, you know, they make a, a, a statement and they fall back very quickly into a very uh, concrete, uh, not a parable, story that demonstrates the point. And, it's, uh, and you see that enough, and you begin to say, golly, these guys, uh, you know, if somewhere along the lines learned this, maybe from mentors or maybe from watching great leaders them, 
themselves. And it's not just uh, you know English literature majors. I mean, we 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 see PhD electrical engineers that are ambitious and want to make a difference in this world that just pick this up and learn it. And that's uh, it was a kind of an obvious thing, as a matter of fact, uh, even to me maybe twenty years ago. You mentioned the phrase. Uh, you mentioned the word concrete as being important in telling a story, and I think that's one of the things that makes your book, That's Not How We Do It Here, so different than most of the other business, quote, parable books. There have been a lot of parables written in the last few years, but they're not real stories. They're just sort of boring uh, quasi-stories of of a character who faces a problem and then goes and interviews a dozen people and therefore learns what they should have done. But uh, you've written a an act a real story here with concrete uh, details that you the, where the the listener actually gets sucked into and wants to find out what happens next. But that wasn't I imagine that was harder to do, wasn't it? It took took a greater amount of work to make that happen. Well, yeah, you talk, it, it helps to talk to people who actually write novels and are good at it, and ask them, you know, what is it about a great novel? and a not so great uh, novel. And one of the things that they talk about is uh, very specific, specific data. They don't say he drove off. You know, he drove off in a 1962 Chevy Malibu. And it sounds like, that sounds like a, a triviality, but, but, but if that choice, the 1962 uh, Chevy Ma- Malibu helps you to better understand, or the, the reader, better almost picture in your own mind the, what's going on in a, in a motion picture sense. It uh, A, draws you in, and it gives you more a real feeling for what they're, they're talking about, um, the situation. Now, uh, again, that's not the easiest thing to do, but that's what makes all great literature. I mean, go, go, go pick up your favorite a novel, you'll find people don't float on the surface in describing people or describing a situation. They get very concrete and concrete in a way that helps you to kind of see the motion picture, if you will, in the back of your mind. At the core of this book is the difference between management and leadership. A lot of the people a lot of people think that these are interchangeable terms, but clearly from the story that you don't believe that's true. Well, it isn't true. <laughs> I, I've been I've been uh, working on that one for a long time, and and the misunderstanding is just causes havoc. Uh, the number of meetings I've seen that are important strategic meetings in which people are throwing around these words about, uh, and they're throwing them around um, without understanding that you know the, the guy over there is using it different than the guy over here, and it has implications, especially around execution. Um, of how we get things done. So somebody thinks that we, we've established how we're going to get something done, but you haven't at all uh, because he's thinking about leadership and what leadership really is, which is, which is always about uh, kind of working with people to establish a vision, get people lined up behind it, and then um, um, empowering and motivating and inspiring people to make it happen no matter what the barriers and usually in the process to make something kind of astonishing um, happen. That's what great leadership is, which is very different from management, which is making some kind of machine, if you will, 
function really, really efficiently and reliably no matter how complex the function is with very thoughtful planning and budgeting and, and uh, drawing up an organizational structure that can, that can implement the plan and staffing it with the right people and the right kind of jobs and having metrics and control systems to keep it on track when it goes on tra off track. Both are hugely uh, important. Um, they just serve different functions. Um, and, uh, and and muck, mucky misunder the, the number of management tr uh, training courses in corporations right now and in universities that are labeled leadership, but they're actually about management, is uncountable. And there's nothing wrong with having these courses. I mean, having a well-managed organization, uh, you know, if you don't, you go out of business. Um, but it's not leadership. And when you're talking about a changing world where you have to be um, adapting, transforming, uh, executing uh, new strategies and strategic initiatives, uh, you better have a, a lot of leadership going on um, to help make that happen. And all the management in the world doesn't do it. And the number of businesses right now that are trying to manage themselves into the future um, without the leadership because they think that what they're doing is leadership is uh, astonishing. And of course, they're, they're not doing a very good job. They're frustrated. Um, sometimes you've got uh, good people that are you know, losing jobs or certainly not growing jobs. It doesn't help the economy. It doesn't help the country. It doesn't help the world. We've got to do something about it. When I first picked up the book and started reading it, especially from the title, that's not how we do it here, I assumed that it would be primarily about how do we uh, encourage creativity and innovation in this uh, company that has maybe grown a bit large and bureaucratic. And sure enough, that is about half of the story, but uh, because of one of the meerkat clans actually is that picture. But then there's the other half uh, of, a, of a, a different clan that doesn't have enough management structure, and it, they're sort of all heavy on the leadership side. And so that ultimately, it works for a while, but they get to a point, uh, a size, and uh, have some environmental situations where that breaks down as well. No, you've got it, um, w without question. The, the, uh, as you grow with scale, um, if, if you, what, what happens, I see this with entrepreneurs all the time. Um, they really are uh, not only creative and not only entrepreneurial, they're leaders. And they draw people to them, and uh, they're doing these kind of, uh, their, their, their um, real competitive advantage is uh, speed and agility to run around the big guys. And um, they love that, and they cling that, and that's the way they do things. Uh, but with scale, as they grow, et cetera, they're going to have to, they, they create a machine that has to serve customers uh, reliably and efficiently. And uh, it's not unusual for the entrepreneur to be entrepreneuring because he hates conventional organizations, you know, and uh, policies and procedures and bosses and all that stuff. And so he uh, uh, doesn't, uh, he thinks it's bad, doesn't allow it in his own company. And at a certain point, it starts to really, really hurt them because they have quality problems, they have shipping problems, they have uh, uh, cash flow problems, all the stuff that management can handle. 
they can't do anymore. And worst case, the whole thing blows up, usually is bought if they've got anything worthwhile like patents or a technology or a customer base by somebody else. Uh, and um, you know, kind of uh, crushed in the process usually since uh, big organizations buying small creative organizations, the track record on that, except for making money for the M&A guys, is pretty pathetic. Um, uh, so there's that other side to it too. Uh, and a lot of the, um, what, uh, the glamour that people in big organizations associate with if only we could be, you know, get rid of this management junk and go back to be really led and agile and, and, and fast, well, no, 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 no. Um, you need both. And a lot of people would say you can't have both, but you can. We've studied it. Um, I'm now the chairman of a consulting firm that helps firms create both, new way of operating, kind of a dual system, if you will. And that's one of the things that's uh, um, um, demonstrated, talked about, you, you get insights from um, looking at our uh, meerkats. So what does this dual system look like? If you start with a, a an organization that's already very large and has a a really solid, successful management system in place. How do you switch to this dual system? You don't switch. You organically kind of grow out a new part, if you will. And the new part looks more like what you were once upon a time um, without jettisoning um, uh, what exists right now that helps you, you know, on a daily basis um, survive and, and do what you need to do. Uh, and the new part will look different. It will look more like um, um, startups. That is to say, it won't be a big management hierarchy. It will be more of a network type organization. Uh, policies and procedures are not going to be there. Uh, if there's any focus on anything, it's having the right culture. Uh, there won't be much management. People will be expected to just jump in there and provide leadership. Um, a lot of stuff is, is grabbing strategic objectives, trying something. If it works, you know, try more of it. If it doesn't, uh, uh, jettison it and go in a new direction. Um, and it's growing that from a, a small seed out to something larger and larger and making sure that it is tightly connected to, in a hand-in-glove sort of way, the existing organization. And I will admit, at least at this point, we don't know enough uh, to, to not make that uh, a tricky task. We know it can be done. We do it uh, on a daily basis. Uh, that, that's part of the reason I started the consulting firm is to test that out. Um, uh, but it, 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 it's not what people are used to. Um, so there are some tricks in the trade, but it can be done. It's growing out this new form uh, from the old. So, so in a sense, we, and it's not a separate organization. It's not what firms do all the time. They think we need some, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, so we will start up um, a new you know, research center out in <laughs> California, and mm -hmm. they will d devise all this brilliant stuff, which the mother organization will capitalize on, and that, that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, the mother organization rejects it. 
uh, kills it, you know, keeps their budget down, thinks they're stupid, you know, crazy California people. Uh, <laughs> and, and conversely, the California people think that, you know, the mothership is, is full of bureaucrats that couldn't uh, do anything new if you, if, you, if you paid them a great deal of money. And um, so it's not that. It's, you, you draw from the same base of employees um, um, who want to help uh, play this uh, new role because they see opportunities, they're excited about it, um, and they want to help out in a broader way. And that's what uh, leaders have always been able to do um, without um, – uh, it's, it's kind of mission-oriented. It's, uh, it's appealing to emotions, not just uh, um, one part of the brain. Um, and you end up with two very different systems, but nevertheless respecting each other as opposed to thinking you know, each other is crazy uh, and working um, together. And um, it, it, it's amazing what that kind of a dual system can do if you have a mature large business in the kind of economic environment that we're um, in more and more often, which is so fast-moving, and unpredictable. Uh, and anybody thinks that you know, things are predictable, uh, just read the papers about Brexit and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, that is the world. And, and, and to think that that's going to go away, it's not going to go away. Uh, hence, need for new forms. Um, hence, learn something from the meerkats. So at least in the early stages, this secondary maybe it's like the improvement initiative is uh, is made up essentially of volunteers right where you've the leaders have community have cast a vision and basically saying who wants to get involved and uh, everybody who sort of signs up is kind of just uh, basically signing up to work extra hours if you will and and you know a lot of people would say a or that's not possible or b they'll do it but they'll burn out after a few months well, you don't have to have 70, you know, 7 trillion volunteers. It's amazing what 100 can do to get you started with something if you're an organization with 5,000 people, for example, um, if they actually get something going and achieve something uh, that is new and different and um, and useful. And of course, when that happens, their credibility increases, more people want to get involved, and the thing in a kind of an organic way um, um, grows. And if somebody, uh, their regular job becomes too demanding, uh, that's one of the beauties of network organizations. You can fall out because there are no job descriptions. You can fall out and somebody else kind of slides in and takes your place, and the thing doesn't even slow down. Um, and um, uh, and it builds momentum. You know, it it's a, it's a, starts a little organic, not mechanistic, and it builds momentum with more and more people saying, "Wait, this this looks kind of cool. Um, I like what uh, you know." My uh, my uh, uh, I just heard this story literally a half an hour ago, where somebody, a CEO of a company, wants to talk to us. And it's because one of his right-hand people has a daughter who works for an organization that we're working with right now. And apparently, this is what I told, comes home talking about it all the time. You know, this, this cool thing we just did. 
And so dad says, well, finally, after a while, starts asking her questions, then goes to his boss and says, you know, there's something very interesting happening over at my daughter's uh, company that I think is very applicable possibly to us. And all of a sudden, the CEO's on the phone um, wanting to uh, uh, talk to us. The same sort of thing happens inside firms with people telling other people or people seeing something and wanting to know more. And um, and it and it just builds a momentum and starts building out this uh, this uh, this new piece, which doesn't require everybody signing up and doing it. I was trying to picture in my head, um, like if I were to fast forward a certain period of time, and the book is focusing on on uh, organizations at the moment of change when they need to when they realize they need to make a change. But I was trying to get an idea for what does it look like in a very large organization that has institutionalized this ongoing change effort. And uh, on the one hand, I thought of Toyota or similar companies that most employees have a certain amount of time that they're expected, or not expected, but they, they spend in improvement efforts or like a, a Google where they've got like 20% time in, in a, where they're, they tend to be working in cross-functional initiatives. Um, how does that line up with what you're, I guess, what you're thinking of when a, a company gets further down the road? Two things. Uh, th- those are good, that those are good questions. Um, no, this is different. In a sense, those are both steps in the, uh, people who sense they need something different and are, are moving in the direction I'm talking about. But they're uh, they both got problems. Um, the Toyota. Uh, uh, system uh, produces incremental change and it doesn't kind of produce big leaps in new directions to take in advantage of um, um, discontinuities or big uh, uh, opportunities uh, that come along. Um, it's a, a great way and you, you can have that and what I'm talking about too. There's, there's no reason you can't have people looking for constant ways to take the machine, if you will, that currently exists and make it a little bit better here and a little bit better there. That's fine, but it's not enough in a rapidly moving, um, increasingly unpredictable world. The Google thing um, is just a mistake. Twenty uh, percent um, of the time, first of all, first of all, they work them so hard they don't have you know the twenty percent of the time disappears. But more importantly, you're, 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 this is not a you have to gain. These things grow out because people want to become involved in them. Um, it, it can't be you have to spend twenty percent of your time, and that just doesn't work. Um, and by the way, if Google hasn't already abandoned it, I know they had internal discussions thinking, oops, this isn't quite working. Um, uh, and um, the other people that have tried it, I think that's the core is what I just said. Mandating, you know, it's like 10% uh, of the time you, your job is to be creative. Well, good luck <laughs> with that. You know, it, it's not going to work. You, in any organization, there is some energy um, that wants to uh, help it take leaps into the future. Um, and the name of the game is to find that energy 
and to go and organize it so it's not just uh, going off in crazy directions, but it really is aimed at the big opportunities, and then uh, use it to make something important happen. The probability that top management has any list of employees in their drawer that is the, the these are the guys with the high energy of that want to um, um, uh, execute in innovative ways, big strategic initiatives. The probability that they've got that in the HR files is zero. Uh, they just don't. They have to find a way to find those people, um, which is basically opening things up uh, um, for people for volunteering, and then organize that in a network, not a hierarchy, um, aimed at the, the big opportunities that uh, top management and others see, and uh, make something happen in a way that looks more uh, entrepreneurial. So both of your examples, in a sense, are moving in this direction, but it's it's um, it's it's not a sustainable move, or it's not enough. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, in in the commentary toward the end of the book how mature organizations tend to have a built-in tendency to kill off anything that looks like a fluid uh, and innovative entrepreneurial structure. And you talk about a, a process uh, that you recommend that helps overcome that tendency. And you've, you've, you've t talked a little bit already about uh, the, the first step or two in that. But can you tell us a little bit more about what, what are some of the keys to make sure this is going to be successful and not uh, just get, get killed off when it bumps up against the, the hierarchical structure? What we know so far works. And, and we may not know the best way. I'll admit that. But what we know can, uh, so far start, will work is bring together a bunch of people, including the very top management, um, and um, basically help them it's, uh, um, uh, clarify what uh, an exciting um, opportunity is of some significance for the organization or for some piece of the organization, a department, a, a, a division. Um, and write it down. Actually, write it down, and 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 think about the words, and make sure they're not crazy. They're not meaningless. Um, they are really um, enough to, if you will, win over people's minds. But there's also wording in it that is also not just uh, manipulative. That is exciting. That uh, the kind of stuff that wins over people's hearts. And then um, um, open it up for people who would like to help you um, get that message out, you know, uh, and uh, and then see who starts, you know, lining up saying, "Can I help?" Um, and people will. And then take some of them and put them together in what we traditionally call a guiding coalition, a core group of people that'll help uh, make sure this thing just doesn't run amok. Um, who will clarify kind of a vision for what they want to do this year, start working with top management to develop some uh, concrete st strategic initiatives that can move things quickly um, in the right direction. Uh, again, open it up for volunteers who would like to work on these various initiatives. And then don't, don't manage them to death. Uh, let them behave more like the little uh, um, entrepreneurial uh, factions and make it perfectly clear to these guys that the idea is not to come up with ideas which you throw at top management to process. Uh, your goal is to make something happen. 
to come up with an idea and actually overcome barriers, execute it, and get results that the firm needs. And when they do this, you start building uh, momentum. Um, more people become involved. Um, bigger and, and uh, more complex initiatives get uh, initiated um, and successfully um, implemented. Uh, a combination of, of, uh, of the, the, the opportunity, uh, it's kind of a, a sense of urgency that develops around that, um, people coming in and developing a core group that can organize this, a lot of communication about what this is, uh, more people coming in and, and forming and, and working on strategic initiatives, guardrails being put up by top management to make sure it doesn't go off in some um, a wild direction, but top management not trying to manage the thing, control the thing, measure the thing, and, and kill the thing, which is what normally happens. Um, getting the wins, broadcasting the wins, celebrating the wins, and um, in, in particular what this can do these days that we're finding is this can take stuff that not only that you need to do, but it can accelerate. Uh, the pace at which it actually happens um, so that uh, uh, something doesn't uh, ha happen. You know, you don't change the culture in 23 years. <laughs> uh, you get it done in five, which is a huge uh, thing. You don't implement some customer uh, in initiative in five years. You get it done in uh, two or 18 months. And um, again, that's what small entrepreneurial organizations can do. They can move fast. And you can, with this kind of organization, start to accelerate that even in a big, uh, mature, um, uh, quasi-bureaucratic um, uh, form. Um, and among other things, it's amazing how much this, because it, it gives people a little bit of a rope, it starts developing people's leadership skills, and all of a sudden you have a bench uh, that you never had before with people who can not only manage, but they can uh, um, lead. Um, and uh, it starts making visible the top management, some of the more talented people buried in the organization that they'd never heard of. Uh, it can achieve a lot of stuff, and it makes work life, I mean gas, now that this is important, gas, more fun. Hmm. There's a term that you used uh, repeatedly in the book, and it's uh, relentless communication. What, what does that mean to you? Relentless communication means communication on the right things, of course, not just random gossip. Um, but it, it, it means making sure that the, the traditional organization and the new stuff, you've got enough uh, information passing back and forth that you don't start developing uh, misunderstandings or negative stereotypes and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's relentless communication to help people stay aligned and not go off in 16 uh, d different directions. It, it's amazing how much, and I found this 20 years ago, um, a senior management who are good people, I'm not talking about incompetent, think they're communicating a great deal. And you go down four levels and people say, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what, what, what plan? You know, what vision? Um, and it's perfectly logical. I mean, it's not, again, uh, the senior management is in any way 
incompetent, they, they may be spending a great deal of time talking about certain issues. And you go down and look at the nature of the jobs and the nature of what people do four levels down, and uh, they hear about that stuff about point, you know, 0.5% of the time, and the other 95.5 is on something else, and of course it gets swamped, and they don't hear, they forget, etc. And you're not going to coordinate people, align people, um, get people to cooperate and be excited that way. Uh, and so you just have to work at it if you're a senior manager, almost to the point where it seems like it's beyond what's rational. Um, and, but, but people, once you get people into it, they begin to see the rationality of it. They begin to see, they look for signs. You know, I've, I've got uh, senior managers that I'm working with right now that, that when they travel, um, they go, they, you know, if you're walking down a hall instead of being, uh, you know, imperial, um, and you bump into some young person just taking one minute to shake his hand and in the process uh, see if he actually or she actually knows anything <laughs> about uh, the, the major, you know, an, initiative that, that you've got going to uh, take him into the future. And uh, if he or she does not, well, ding, 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 you know, uh, warning sign, red flag. Um, you're not communicating enough or it's getting bogged down somewhere between you and um, that person. So they look for data in new ways that don't come up through traditional metrics uh, to make sure they're communicating enough. And then they almost always, it's uh, increased, not stay the same or decrease until they start getting the data that says, ah, the troops really do are hearing enough so that we can all, you know, hold hands and leap into the future. We're talking with John Cotter and his new book, That's Not How We Do It Here, about how to be both a, a company that is well run with systems and structures that help you achieve efficient and reliable results, as well as one that's strategically agile, that's innovative and adaptive and energetic. John, um, how can people find out more about you and, and this book and the work that you're doing at Cotter International? Well, go to the website. So it's K-O-T-T-E-R-I-N-T-E-R, -T -T -E -E you know, play it out, international.com. In a couple of minutes, you can get a feeling for uh, a lot of what we're working on and a lot of what um, um, this this firm now um, uh, does and is able to do. And and by the way, you know, I still love Harvard, and I'll be on the faculty until I drop off, you know, writing something someday. <laughs> um, but this has been so exciting, um, helping uh, an incredibly talented group of people build this business and see them help companies to the point where we don't have satisfied customers, we have fans. Uh, it is, I mean, it's humbling. Uh, to see the CEO of a major uh, European uh, company um, go on and on and on telling me about what they've been able to um, achieve uh, and just because we've done our thing of kind of educating, facilitating, inspiring, you know, guiding, um, all based on what we think is the best intellectual capital in this uh, arena. Um, um, in the world, and uh, developing more capital and helping more people has been um, 
and, and making a difference is that. So anyway, go, go to the website. And seriously, if, if, if anybody is hearing this and, and, uh, and they're going through some kind of, or they think they need to go through some kind of significant change, I would really urge you to at least take a look at the website. Um, it will direct you to other books too, um, as well as something that, who knows, might make a big difference for you at some point. Hmm. Now you're working with clients all over the world. What's uh, what kind of problems is sort of the, the sweet spot that your that your company is helping them with? It's almost always uh, somebody that is visionary enough to see an opportunity that they cannot see a way to grab fast enough. Uh, because the current culture, the current way they're, they're doing things, um, they just see too many uh, barriers. Or, or more likely, they're trying to get something done uh, that is uh, strategic and it's simply going too slowly. They're running into problems. Uh, um, they're getting pushback from people. Um, the, the communication is, 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 is frustrating. Uh, they know they need to get uh, more people engaged and empowered, but the, the, it, they're not succeeding in doing it, um, and they're frustrated pu uh, puppies. Um, and they're smart enough to reach out uh, and, and, and look for uh, help. Content-wise, it doesn't matter. I mean, we deal with whew, supply chain uh, um, issues. We deal with marketing issues, sales issues. Um, we, we deal with uh, uh, overall business strategy issues. Uh, we have clients in, in, in Italy and Switzerland and in California. You know, uh, the place and the specific content of the issue is irrelevant. What's, what's relevant is that they're trying to do something different. It's of some um, um, significance. And more often than not, they're either frustrated puppies or they're smart enough to see that when they launch something, they're going to end up frustrated puppies because <laughs> uh, um, it, it, it's bold and um, their organization either doesn't have a good track record of uh, this, has never done it before, or they're just insightful enough to see all the barriers that are going to push back and uh, not get what they want in the period of time that they need it and want it. Ah, that's very cool. Well, for anyone who's interested in checking out more about uh, Dr. John Cotter and his team at Cotter International, uh, go to cotterinternational.com. Uh, we'll also put links to the website and to their social media on our show notes for this page. Dr. John Cotter, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you for asking me. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. We'll provide the information and links that John mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 143, as in episode 143. Thank you to our sponsor, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Remember, you can claim a free month if you go to freshbooks.com forward slash leader and enter Engaging Leader in the section that says, How did you hear about us? This is a production of Asmodale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find us at asmodalecommunications.com. 
Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. <laughs> <laughs>